Jack London puts my hackles up for a few reasons. He was an out and proud racist. He was a flaming contradiction, a sworn socialist who dressed like a plantation owner, kept servants, and was called from his morning surf frolics. The least of London's flaws is that he invented a manly flex and preen surfing archetype who would readily and happily conflate wave riding with all manner of seriously dangerous activities, war, bullfighting, boxing, and we've been stuck with this blowhard in one form or another ever since. From the Encyclopedia of Surfing, I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. And I'm Jamie Brewer in London. This is The Sunday Joint, where we roll up Matt Warshaw's weekly newsletter for a deep inhale of surfing's past, present, and future. Man, make them happy! When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Jack London, Jamie, our topic uh, for this episode. Uh, what do I you thought think? that was your nickname for me, Jack London, Jamie. Jack London, Jamie. <laughs> Sounds like a drink or something, I think. It does, yeah. <laughs> what would you put in that? Oh, uh, it'd have to be it'd have to have like sweet vermouth, maybe, and some whiskey and I don't know, I make awful drinks. Well actually, do you know, like since you mentioned Jack, it could be like it it could be like Jack Daniels, yeah, bourbon and London gin. I mean, that would probably taste pretty awful. But. <laughs> that would be disgusting. <laughs> but I think I'm going to give it a go later. I think yeah. the real Jack London would be up for that. I know, right? <laughs> Maybe. A chaotic challenge. So, um, 
Jack London became the topic of, of um, Matt's Sunday joint, uh, which I thought was really interesting. I know it was funny because I mentioned it to you and you're like, kind of really? We could do a whole episode on Jack London? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like I went down all the link wells on, on this joint and I just, I found it interesting for the fact that like these are like some of the, the first like, really widely distributed writers of surfing in, in many regards, uh, particularly in, in like 21st century or 20th century. And I mean, no, he really is. He, he's the first real writer to actually write a full length piece on surfing. Quick post edit. Uh, wanted to fill you in a little bit on Jack London and where he was at and the kind of time period he was in that we're about to discuss here. Uh, we recognize that we didn't put it in uh, as we were discussing it. So here we are post-editing it. Uh, so just a quick bit of background. Jack London, uh, at this point, this is around 1906, he is probably the biggest swinging dick writer in America, thanks to uh, Call of the Wild and White Fang and some of the other adventure books. He, he was like kind of a he-man, and he loved to box and get his hands dirty and really try to give this you know, tough persona a la Teddy Roosevelt, I guess. And in 1906, he designed and built a boat called the Snark. And the following, he and his wife and a small crew sailed from San Francisco to Honolulu. And that's like a whole other crazy story where nobody on that boat knew how to navigate and they almost didn't make it. So um, that's definitely something I think you can look up also on the eos.surf. Anyway, once there, Jack went surfing almost right away and got super stoked and into it and wrote a really nice long article about surfing that ran in the magazines around the world for millions of people. And that was their first real look at surfing. So he's a really important figure. Uh, and what follows is a really fun conversation. Now back to the show. He's yeah, before a real that, true surf journalist. Yeah. Unlike Chad <laughs> Smith. <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, actually, they're both gonzo journalists. Totally. Um, yeah. You know, write about their experiences and yeah i wasn't too thrilled at first because i was thinking oh yes i i've heard that he's written about it but he's an outsider and i i really enjoy diving into the insider kind of stuff but then then you kind of i felt bad like at first i was like oh you know tyler tyler's probably got a good idea here let me check it out and then I started, and then I read, you know, when Matt had written about it, him and his writing, and I, I immediately started thinking, oh, he's going to be some guy who just uses his writing to big himself up and everything. Yeah. And that's what, is that what you thought as well before reading it? Um, no, to be honest, I wasn't, I knew he, I, I guess because I had, had read some stuff about, like I'd written like some of his stuff actually, you know, um before you know um like i was reading his his whole article you know um you know on surfing and everything so i i'd known a little bit about it. i knew that it wasn't all about him it was quite actually it showed him being humble in a lot of ways that he didn't know this is crazy but he put the people who could do it on like this this platform you know there were goddesses you know sportive kings you know the royalty to it it looked regal it was flying the sensation he captured a lot of uh, fascinating things um, about surfing, which I thought 
today, even like people don't write about surfing like he does. Like the, they don't write about the ecstasy and the enjoyment like he did. Actually, I don't know. I, I yeah. Was... Well, that's I was I was pleasantly surprised by it. I, I've read quotes from from that piece that, yeah. uh, that before, but he wrote very exactly what you said. He actually didn't put himself up on as big a pedestal as I thought he would. And he ex- he wrote very articulately and eloquently about the humbling experience that he had doing it. And he <laughs> and really sunburn and the sunburn the experience sunburn. is the best. Wait, can I read? I have to, I, I love, like I read like a little bit and I, I got to find it. And yeah. Was, it, it, it reminded me, his description reminded me of when we went to Florida in the summertime and didn't put cream on. <laughs> Uh, jackets are an eventful day, this, especially for Jack, who is in bed thinking it over between groans, eye puffs shut with a strange malady and agonizing in a severe case of sunburn. It just sounded so like what so many beginner surfers do and what many of us do is just like overindulge in it, not realizing all of this. And then we get totally burnt. Which so... Yeah, I like when he talked about the back of his legs, particularly. I know. <laughs> How he'd never got a sunburn there before. And it Actually, was... <laughs> what? Where, what's the worst weird sunburn you've ever gotten? Ooh. Um, I think I did have it, like, kind of my butt crack. You know, I had back in like when you had lower hanging board shorts back in the day, you know, and it was like cool to have saggy stuff. And I had like pants that were a little big on me, I think. And I got it like on the t- just just where the crack really starts to show the plumber's butt. And that made going to the bathroom kind of hard, actually. It really hurt. That in like my ears, like inside my ears, where I was like peeling skin out from inside. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the thing like kids. Well, at least my kids, they, they don't understand that because they religiously put tons of sun cream on all the time i know everyone listening is thinking when london you can't get a sunburn but you can you can <laughs> you know my worst one which oh god i don't know if i'm bearing too much on go on <laughs> this is what you, you knew what the job was you signed up for it oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> when i went um you know, with my friends camping in the southwest and we found a hot springs alongside the rio grande river and we all decided to go skinny dipping. Oh <laughs> well, gosh! And yeah, it just <laughs> didn't. I didn't think it was possible to get like a sun sunburn. <laughs> Where did you get it? Yeah, well, let's just say the tip. Yeah, the so, loins. The loins. Yeah, the loins. <laughs> well, I know what are the loins exactly? Is the loins your your groin? Yeah, no, that's your groin. Mid mid sectiony area. I don't know. It's used to describe. Male parts of sword or thrust his loins into me. I don't know. Like, it's always, I just like saying it though. Like, I yearn from you for my loins. You know, it sounds deep and visceral and gut kind of, kind of below your gut almost. <laughs> does, does, does Matt write anything about the time when Brad, Brad Gerlach went uh, nude surfing in France? Remember that? I that don't was like know. A big picture, Sonny Miller took that. I think he should, because, you know, Sarge has the video footage of it, too. And he was kind of ripping a little bit, you know. Uh, uh, Brad's uh, clearly a, a, a grower, not a shower. So, hey, not as <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, that could be a whole other joint. Like the That's... Best, uh... <laughs> 
I don't know. Maybe well, it shouldn't you, be a joint action. Tangent here, by the way. Do you ever remember the comedy issues in Surfer Magazine in the 90s that oh, Matt yeah, they, they did? Said, it's bad to pick it out of your pubes or something. Like the wax gets all <laughs> yeah. stuck. Yeah, I remember that. But there was that. And then they did one where they did a mock surf oh, that's, video wait, review. Sorry, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, surf- why, that's why Ultra Deck was invented. <laughs> but they did because. a mock video review called A Top. And it was about one woman's... Uh, journey through the French leg of the pro tour seducing pro surfers and ranking them by penis sizes. <laughs> oh. So who was number 10? I to- they didn't mention the name. <laughs> it was, but it was, it was pretty good. Um, so back to Jack London getting burned, sunburned. Oh, I was wondering where this all started. But anyway, I found what I, what I found interesting, though, in the dives here were these. And what I, I hooked into at the opener here of the show was that Jack, you know, really set like this, helped set the template of certain archetypes in surfing or certain uh, themes in surfing too. Because not only he talked about like the surfer and the machismo and the attitude and kind of this, you know, regalness to it, which I think we all kind of consider surfing to be and kind of regard it um, in many, many, many ways. Uh, but there were other things that I found interesting. Like, so when uh, Jack, I was reading Jack's wife, Char- Charmian, and her, I think it's, it's Charmaine. Charmaine. Charmaine, right? Charmaine. He misspelled well, they, it, though. Oh. He misspelled it then, Matt. Typo must be, because it's I-A-N. I think that's the way to spell Is Charmaine. Is it? No. It's well, not then, phonetic, because it's probably French, I probably. Well, shame on me. Okay, Charmaine. Charmou. 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 Socialist, self, self-renowned socialist, diehard, both Jack and her, which I thought was interesting. But they're kind of champagne socialists in a way. Right? Yeah, yeah. But what I found interesting is they talk about like almost paradise lost too. They revisit. So one of the things I thought was interesting about Jack's stories, you know, um, basically he's asked by Alexander Hume Ford to write about surfing and Hawaii and use it as a platform to promote tourism and surf riding. And one, I find that fascinating because it's always these surfers, particularly white evangelical surfers who discover it later in life, who become really big proponents or they try to sell out surfing in well, some way or try to promote it. Yeah, and, and that's, I, yeah, reading about Alexander Ford, Hume Ford or Ford yeah. Hume? Hume he, Ford. I, yeah, the, it's they, they said that was like, he, he'd kind of done a whole bunch of things in his life, but never really accomplished much. But then when he got to Hawaii and he got really into surfing, he figured this was his ticket to like achieving something, that he was going to be the promoter of surfing. Totally. And, and what I find fascinating, right? Like he, he latches onto this, you know, he was a plantation owner, actually. I, I thought, no, or he was son the, of one, son of one. Yeah. He was the you know, orphan son of plantation. Owners. Yeah. But he um, was fascinating how he promotes it, gets it well known. Jack writes this article, really promotes surf riding, which um, I believe premiered in the Women's Journal, I believe. Um, the Women's uh, Companion, I think. It was. Companion, yes, sorry. And, and Paul he, Mal in England. Yes. Same article. Then, you know, promotes, you, they leave, and then Charmaine writes about how when they come back, how it's different and how it's not the same. Um, and a little quote here, 
Upon the beach at Waikiki, it was seldom we missed the long afternoon. I'm glad we're here now, Jack would ruminate. For someday, Waikiki Beach is going to be the scene of long hotel. And wonderful as it is, is it will be, I can't help clinging for once to an old idea. And I'm reading another quote. This is um, from Ford and London. Darn the wheel of the world. Why must it continually turn over? Where is the reverse gear? Cried London. Next it's because year, of you. It's your fault. I know. <laughs> Next year, death claimed him, and Ford stayed in Hawaii to count the tourists and to re- regret the boosterism of he and his great friend. The sea was becoming cluttered. And I find this so interesting because it's a, it keeps happening in surfing. It's always this constant thing where someone who gets really excited about it promotes it, and then all of a sudden they get what they want or what they were going for and realize that's not exactly what they wanted. I know. Maybe we should stop doing this right now. Actually. I know. <laughs> well, well, the cat's out of the bag right now, James, I think. so. Yeah, hopefully we're preaching to the converted. Yes. <laughs> but I, I just, I think that's, what is it about us surfers who want to blow it up and then like, you know, we, we, we get so enthusiastic. We think it's like the best thing ever and we promote the heck out of it. I mean, I'm guilty as charged of this. I did a surf film festival in New York and probably helped bring a lot of attention of surfing to New York, uh, which is now obviously the lineup is probably more crowded. Uh, also, we, our family owns a surf shop. So we were, <laughs> you know, we, we benefited from it too. And so... I don't yeah. know. It, uh, well, why can't I tell we let you it what, be? Well, I know. Yeah, I can. Ex- I can only explain how I felt when I was a kid getting into surfing. It, it really felt like if the whole world surfed, the whole world would be a lot cooler and groovier and more fun. <laughs> like I really thought. Like kind of. I guess like the same way. Maybe people in the '60s felt like if everyone took acid, the whole world would be better. Or people in the '90s felt if everyone. <laughs> <laughs> took ecstasy things would be better and religious people and so forth you kind of i don't know you maybe you want the whole world to to be like what you imagine it to be and that's the thing when i was a kid if you told me that new york was gonna host, host a pro surf contest uh, you know like the quicksilver yeah. pro i would have oh my god that would have been i <laughs> i would have been able to contain myself i would have been so excited <laughs> i know i i mean it's it's funny like it but it, it's yeah i know i mean it's we i don't know like i think part of it is like wanting to share it with people because you yeah i totally think like if people can learn surfing or can take some of the lessons from surfing uh into their lives maybe the world will be a better place or maybe they'll be more environmentalist i've always thought that in my head like oh if we have more people surfing we're a larger constituency and maybe have more say in how the coastlines are developed. And I've always maybe justified like the growth of surfing with that type of reasoning that if we have more surfers, we're able to do more things that might be good for surfing, which is some t- in turn, hopefully good for the environment. But- yeah. Like Nat Young used to talk about that in, in his article, tribal challenge in the late eighties. Um, he wrote an article in Surfer magazine and he was talking about how the population was getting the surf population was getting bigger and bigger and now there are lawyers doctors who do it who could now speak on behalf of surfing and he talked about the environment talked about 
Oh, I don't know if he talked about, but people talked about, you know, access to the beach for surfing. You know how like you couldn't surf in many places. Yeah. And um, yeah, who knows? Maybe it's like some sort of evolutionary benefit. Like if a human being discovers something that works and that's good, that they share it with everyone else so that the species survives and thrives. But Ah. sometimes, sometimes it doesn't (laughs) doesn't work. Well, it's like, you know, bees, right? Do you know what they do? Like, it's fascinating. They like, make honey. They make honey. That's delicious. And they're very important also in cross-pollinating things. But on top of that, what bees will do is when one bee will find a secret spot of sweet, delicious, you know, um, you know, all sort of, you know, flower and everything. And what they'll do is they'll fly back and then go to their buddies and friends. And it's not shared with the whole hive, actually. It's only like they have like a little crew. And they'll well, shit. What? I, I bet it creates a real buzz. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hive of activity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so what the bees do, though, is they communicate... I I believe it's through scent or some way they're able to communicate exact location where it is to the bees and their friends will then fly and gather. And then what ends up happening is then they tell their two friends and they tell two friends and then the the screen splits up and gets all crazy double minty. And then, uh, you know, you have crowded situation, but it's like fascinating. I think there is an evolution. I think you make a very interesting point. There's an evolution evolutionary thing about us wanting to share a good thing and it's hard to to keep those things secret or uh not share with people that you care about and unfortunately and you want to uh i don't think show offs the word necessarily but yeah it, it does feel really weird if you discover something really cool not to want to tell everyone you it's yeah you really have to hold back on that well, that's what, you know, it's interesting. It's like localism, but they're still sharing, you know, they're just sharing within their community, you know, from outsiders. Um, and it, it's almost impossible to keep a secret. That's the other thing. You know, mm. it's really hard in society and life to keep a secret. This is why I'm so against a lot. So many conspiracy theories, because I'm like, how many people have to be involved with this to keep a secret? Come on. Have you ever thrown a surprise party? It's impossible to keep a secret. Yeah. <laughs> so good surprise parties like a good conspiracy yeah <laughs> would i you know when one of the things um i wanted to just go over really quickly uh that matt pointed out i thought it would be fun to read off real quick is the mm-hmm. um descriptions as created by jack and charmaine charmaine in reverse order of purpleness now this is Jack, not Charmaine, because she wasn't very purple in her description. She was more nuanced, wasn't she? Yeah, but this was taken from Matt. Uh, so he put it together. So number 10, big smokers. I like that. I think we should call waves big smokers again, by the way. Yeah. I always feel like it has to have offshore wind for it to be a big Absolutely. Smoker. Well, maybe that's a description we can use for, for a certain type of wave, where it's like hard offshore and kind of peaky. And you know, like kind of like... Um, Maybe it's opening in litmus and you just see a spray coming off the back of some of the waves. That could be a big smoker. Yeah, like, oh, there's you some know? big smokers out there. You have to say it in an old person kind of accent. Old style, well, act, old well, fashioned like accent. Eskimos have different thousands of descriptions of snow. Why can't that be one of our descriptions, right? Oh, and what, 
What do you call it right now, Tyler? What do I call what? <laughs> no, what, what, what's the conditions right now? Conditions waves back isn't home? It, it's, you know, it's Kaimaloo. Kaim it? Oh, low time. Kaimaloo. We appear to be watching the ocean. What do we do? We appear to be watching it. But for all of you, we're quoting North Shore, by the way. Went into get a him, side tension. Go get him, right? Right. Uh, number nine, number, big number smoky nine. ones. Big smoky ones. Yeah, that's same big smoker. Um, deep water smokers. Ooh, outer bombies maybe with hot offshores. That deep could be water pretty smokers. good. That sounds like a bong or something. Those mighty monsters. I think we can cut that one out. Oh God, that's awful. Bullmouthed monsters. That sounds like a real heavy wave. Maybe could be something for like hours. You could say you really bullmouth that. <laughs> what's the next one part of the bull moose party you know i don't know um pharaoh's horses <laughs> that's ridiculous well that's the the companion uh insert to white horses surf magazine <laughs> oh, yes yes it's, and for, uh, it's for um the arabian sea surf or wait no this is the next one endless charge of white cavalry that is that's the supplement to white horses. <laughs> uh, hey, better you go home, I would say, if someone called it that. <laughs> white battalions of infinite army of seas. Now we're I, just getting... We're, yeah, no, having said that, I, I, I now remember that when it was written in context. And I think at the time, maybe <laughs> when, when Jack London wrote that and it was for an article... Maybe he did have to use a bit of hyperbole to get people so excited and totally. descriptive. It, that one kind of worked. I don't think we should use it, but in yeah. the article, I think it worked. <laughs> Definitely. And number one, oncoming legions of rearing, trampling, weighing sea cavalry. That's just number two, just on steroids, basically. Well, that's all <laughs> the new surfers, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So those are some of the fun descriptions that I, I really enjoyed uh, that Matt pointed out for us and put, took out for us. So I thought it was great. Yeah. One it was thing interesting. I, I, oh, yeah. sorry. No, no, you. You, by all means. So. Um, well, you know how Matt says, you know, he gives links to the Jack London article as well as Charmaine's article yeah. and describes her article as really well-written and more nuanced. And while I was reading his article, especially at the beginning, I was thinking, ah, it's it is really good. And I can see how it would be very effective in getting lots of people to want to surf. Mm -hmm. And I think that the reason it would get a lot of people to surf is it kind of offers an opportunity. It, it, pro it proposes surfing as an opportunity to become a romantic hero, doesn't it? Yeah. When oh, you read it, totally. yeah, you read it and you think, yes, you know, I'm not doing much with my life or, I, you know, I'm a, just living an ordinary bourgeois existence. But if I go surfing, I can become a real adventurer. And I was reading that and I was trying to think back and I thought, yes, I think this would be really effective. And I know there's been times, of course, when, when, when I've wanted to become a romantic adventure perhaps but then i was trying to think what got me into surfing was it descriptions like that and it wasn't that but before i say what what got me into surfing, i'm oh. curious what before you actually started surfing or like when you yeah. started to fall in love with surfing or get a crush mm. on surfing do you i've always wanted to ask you like 
Do you remember what it felt like? What, what exactly was the attraction to it? Well, the initial was, well, the first one, the first ping of it was uh, Lincoln Beach, I believe maybe 1986 or 87. It was, I think, when you first got the Aiken, the, the, the pop-out, um, the, the precursor to Surf Tech and yeah, uh, GSI. Yeah, well, it's coming full circle. I'm getting a 7.6. Uh, yeah, but you're getting a, a Channel Islands, not a pop-out. Hey, um, I remember riding a wave at Lincoln. Um, very much you pushed me into one. And I remember, like, the thrill, the, 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 the exhilaration of it. Then it was when we went to Mission Beach in, in, uh, in San Diego when we were staying with Uncle Rusty. And I, we had the Corky Cool Stick. Uh, no, we didn't at that point. No, no, Rusty had it. Uncle Rusty had, had the Corky Cool... Had, no, not the Fun Stick. The Corky Fun Stick. We brought it out. Dad brought it out for Rusty to, for him to have. Oh, the longboard. Yeah, the longboard. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was the board. I took off and we got on camera that that wave where it was like a little bit of white water that went into a reform and I dropped in that changed everything for that me. was me no it, sh- shut up jamie no, no i'm serious wasn't. no it. it wasn't there was a they would i remember it distinctly uh, i was age 10 i remember exactly we had video if, i was if, on it but if you can get the video i, I will. have the video you're okay, going I'll, down you're totally you wrong money. on this i bet you money I'm always right on these things, I'm not just with right. you, I'm but right. with other people too. <laughs> I'm so right on this. I, it was a video of me, and that wave like changed everything for me. Don't try to gaslight my memories here, right? <laughs> 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 Don't ruin my childhood here, all right? <laughs> so that, yeah, that, but I, mean, that I was, will say, I will say, yeah. you're. I'm no, but I'm not going to gaslight you because. Then I will always point out that time when I videoed you in Long Beach, really getting your proper first wave on the that face. Wasn't the, that and wasn't I, the no, proper I know. first wave. That was the first real like turn. And That's what I mean. And I was Ziggy blown Stardust. away by that. That was crazy. I yeah. know. I love you hearing can... that on the video going, holy shit, is that Tyler? <laughs> no fucking way, I said. Yeah. <laughs> and then you put it at like towards the end of that little uh, surf so, video edited. So your real attract like when you start to fall in love with surfing it was the actual experience it wasn't like the idea of surfing wasn't the 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 i mean i think there was always that peripheral in there i mean shit like you had me watching surf videos at age seven and memorizing surfer styles and waves and everything so it was always like just around me i think and i i think the real impetus for part of it was for to be able to bond with you that was like one of my favorite things was being able to um share something with you and kind of maybe get your respect a little bit too. I'm sure there's a little bit of that to it. Um, oh, we're getting all deep and psychological oh, here. We Sunday joint. Sorry. I know. Um, but, um, no, I think it was, it was all that. And then I think as we, as I grew up, you know, and reading, uh, the romantic side of it really, um, evolved to me. Uh, particularly reading stories by the fireside, you know, with Kevin Naughton, Craig Peterson, that was like, mm. that hooked me, that really got me, sent me on this whole romantic surf uh, quest and journey. And also around that time, I was reading like, um, what is it? The, oh, uh, the Pablo Naruto movie. Oh my God, my mind is going to blank. The Alchemist, Alchemist, you know, and the whole yeah. hero's journey. And I think that whole like kind of, 
hero's journey theme has always been something that appealed to me, everything from Star Wars to this, you know? Mm. So I, I think that that also drew me clo- you know, more close to surfing, probably, or made it more of a, a full lifestyle. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, that's... What about you? What, what was it for you, then? Yeah, well, it was interesting, because I was reading... I was reading... First, I was reading Jack's article, and while I was write, reading, I was thinking these things, and, and I thought, yeah, he's really talking about the romantic adventurer. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, gosh, for me, the real appeal to it, you know, and I had about a year where I was really into surfing, but had never surfed before. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny is I, I did an interview uh, this week and uh, I was asked about this and I was telling him like, they're like, how'd you get into surfing? I'm like, well, it starts with my brother. And he like studied for a whole, you studied for a whole year surfing. Like it was like, you made sure you knew what you were getting yourself into before you did it, which I find fascinating because your son Rolf does similar things, like really researches, it seems like, before he dives into something. Yeah, that was really cute. But, but it was interesting. It wasn't, yeah. um, maybe it was a little bit of trying to learn stuff, um, but it was, it, was more like, <laughs> it was more like, I suppose, young people's like, be thinking about sex before actually getting to have it, you know? And that's, <laughs> that's what it was really like to me. Like, I think the things that really hooked me was pictures of blue water. Well, actually, one of the first things which really caught my attention was Australian Surfing World magazine, SW, yeah. 1986. And this, this is a message to anyone out there. If you have a copy of this, I will pay medium-sized bucks to get it. <laughs> Not big bucks, but I would love a copy. It, it, it had Bryce Ellis on the cover, and it was he was doing a bottom turn at a really clean day at Burley, and it was just the whole picture was just green. There was no sky or anything, and the whole magazine was so lush. And you remember the old SWs. Mm. Uh, Shannon so collage, collage too, you know, a lot of the yeah. graphic design was just... And it just... Yeah, you it, you just felt so escapist. Like, I just wanted to go into the magazine in that world and just be ensconced in all that, and just the and looking at the, and thinking of surfers. You know, the reputation of surfers just sounded so romantic. In a way, it's probably like, you know, a lot of young adults get into surfing now because they look at Instagram and they see these people living in their vans, yeah, and going around the world. <clears throat> And I hate to say, I think maybe that's, I really just love that. So then when I read Charmaine's article, or her book, actually, yeah. it was at the beginning of the book, it was, she was, she really got into it for that reason. She was describing what it was like to be in Hawaii and totally. just be lost there and how the, the rest of the world just faded away and just this, oh yeah, it was, yeah, very <laughs> sensual. Interesting, and, and then not, and then back to real quick how it comes full circle to what you were saying. The Norton Peterson articles, um, what they did, I thought really well was they did that as well. They made you feel part of their thing, Adventure. and it was they weren't talking about themselves as adventurers. They were very inclusive and made you want to just get lost on the road with them and meet all the characters. It it just I don't know. Like for me, I, I love. I love. I always. I talk about this a lot on my on the Swell Season podcast. Like surfing, which is, you can find at. Which you can find at Swell's on Wax Radio. Um, 
But what I love about surfing, uh, what, what I've grown to love about surfing, and as I've become more, I, I have like a love of that kind of hero's journey, Joseph Campbell, like I've always revered that and I look for that in so many things. And surfing is filled with so much of the mythology and the legend stories. And I mean, the, remember the myths, lies and rumors, uh, art, you know, um, Surfer Magazine issue back in 93. Uh, Ooh, remind it was, me. It was like, it had all the different like myth, lies and rumors. And you had like, um, you know, these different stories that happened, whether like, whether these, these stories really happened or not. It was like Mark Richards in Japan being chased by a shark and, oh, yeah. you know, recanting all these tales and, you know, and like, you know, everything from Greg Knoll's Big Wave in Makaha, where there's supposedly no photographic evidence of. Sean Thompson. Yeah, I know. I know. But, you know, you know let me, let me, let me be, you know, believe in Santa Claus for a little while, you know? <laughs> but I always enjoyed that. And so I, this brings me actually to another thing I wanted to talk about. The, the well I went down was uh, George Freeth. Mm. Um, you know, this is like, to me, this was the the offshoot sitcom to the sun, this Sunday joint, you know? <laughs> you said that Jody loves Chachi. I know, right? It's like Jody loves Chachi, or, or I, I, I mean, off of Happy Days, I guess. But I think it was kind of like an offshoot, and I went started really diving into George Freeth, and to me, like, this is the proto-surfer of modern times, you know, before Duke. You know, Duke was a disciple of his, actually. And I, I just... I loved it. I really loved uh, hearing his stories about how he brought surfing to the world, but he seemed so humble, so down to earth, actually, and really like was quiet, but would do these big spectacles of surfing. To me, so this is, this is me really geeking out here, as people are going to think oh, this, I'm ridiculous. But to me, George, George Freeth reminds me of like Luke Skywalker in some ways. What? But George Luke Skywalker wasn't quiet. He was constantly whining. No, no, I'm not talking about personality, but I'm talking about character in a story of like a hero's journey. Like you had had blue eyes. Well, they did. They both have blue eyes. Um, But it's about like the lost art of of surf riding, and he was one of the people responsible for bringing back the sport of kings. And this was like reading these stories. You know, there's always they talk about how surfing went away; it disappeared because. Yeah, and then the, he heard stories from the old people. They were talking yeah. about, oh, there used to be people who stood up on boards. Yeah, like, but they were they were the sport of the kings. They talked about them in a fond way, almost like the Jedi were once spoken about, you know, in in Star Wars. And then he was gifted a board from his uncle, who supposedly he was of royalty. So there's this whole thing of like a passed down lightsaber surfboard. You know, which he ended up cutting in two and making into a smaller board that he can stand and maneuver. But it was just, I don't know, it's just like an interesting story to me. It's like this guy brought back surfing. You know, there wasn't, even the local kids were not standing on the board. And he helped to bring that back, popularize it, and was used as an example. And one of the other things I thought was a really cool, interesting theme is, he was in Atlantic City and tried to surf there and got arrested. I know. And I was just like, some things never change. You know, know. surfers have always been vilified for surfing. <laughs> yeah. Did you read, I, I think it was on the EOS website, the account of Dean Randazzo when he surfed during the hurricane in the 80s and got arrested. Oh, no, I haven't yeah, read I, that. I remember as a kid reading about it, like right after it happened in the 
East Coast Surfer pullout of Surfer Magazine. And then wow. recently I read it. I don't know if I read it in, in the EOS or not, but just, just like a, a few weeks ago, I read it. Now he'd, it was, you know, big swell from one of the hurricanes. They closed the beach down. But of course he was pro level. Yeah. Uh, or this before he became pro, but, and how he's like, dude, the waves are, you know, going off. I'm not going to stay on the beach. So he went out completely ripped everyone watched and the police were just on the beach waiting for him and he came in and they i think they handcuffed him and i think the article said like there's a picture of him that someone one of their friends have of him just got a like you know like a shit-eating grin you know like the cat who got the cream and they apparently they passed that picture like all their friends have copies of this picture well it's interesting it's like when i surfed rockway during a hurricane cops were giving tickets to people Oh yeah, even though the surf was like six to eight foot, you know, it wasn't wasn't massive by any stretch of the imagination, and it was just like would would have been a normal day maybe in California, but uh, De Blasio, ugh. Anyway, but what I I I don't know. I just really like George Freeth because his story was fascinating. Because not only that, like he rescued over two hundred and fifty people at least, and he's credited with creating a lot of the foundational life-saving and life-rescuing techniques and created the Cigar Safety Rescue Board and had done so many, had probably saved more lives than you realize. And so it's a total Luke Skywalker, by the way. And, <laughs> but, but I don't know. I just thought it, I, I really, when I was reading that, I just got kind of more excited about hearing about him because he also seemed quite humble about it and wasn't showy. And well, in some ways, I, he plays the prototypical hot local surfer who doesn't say much, you know, that yeah. like, although I want, like, I, I do want to know a bit more about him. Like Matt said, you know, he was like near mute, you know, like real. And in all the pictures, he looks really like miserable, like his, he looks really sad. And you wonder, like, what makes a person, especially back then when it was really unusual, just go off and he stowed away on a ship and yeah. lived, lived a solitary life. Like he must have had quite a, and his dad was an Irish sea captain. Like, yeah. And his kinda, mom was low, was part Hawaiian also. Yeah. Can you imagine like if your dad was an Irish sea captain back then, maybe he wasn't a very cuddly kind of guy, you know? Well, definitely not that, but also imagine like Irish even at that time was considered lower level on, on socioeconomic and society levels. They were looked down upon actually in some ways. Mm -hmm. And then to be part Hawaiian too, I, you know, one thing that you don't read about and hear about is potentially like some of the, the, the racial elements he might've experienced or even. And he uh, was, and he was called a Howley as well. Yeah. So he, he wasn't uh Either some or probably kind of kind of didn't have a didn't have a, a a home in a way and a tribal Absolutely. home a total loner in some ways so that that was that really I don't know his story resonated with me a lot and I I thought Is that how you feel no 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 I don't feel <laughs> that way I but his his journey you know and then he dies alone of the influenza the, yeah the during the flu epidemic yeah oh, oh, you know yeah. which. How is surfers not learning a lesson, by the way? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, but I mean, that's the thing. And then, I don't know, I, I, it, was, it was pretty good. Uh, I really enjoyed this, this dive into, um, you know, really far back, kind of the beginnings of modern surfing. Um, 
How do you feel about Alexander Ford, actually? Because it's interesting for me because he's kind of like, he's a full-on Howley who just comes in and then kind of like changes the area, which is a constant theme in surfing today. You know, a lot of, you know, right now, actually, in Waikiki, there's this interesting uh, issue going on where a guy, a businessman from like California moved to Hawaii and then opened this dive shop and then made some deal with the local government and took over all the lockers and all the Beach Boys surf lessons and basically, mm. you, know, cre- you know, took all of that spot and kicked all the local Beach Boys out of it. And so now they have to hustle and it's a lot harder for them to do lessons. And it's just, I don't know, it's funny like how these, these people just come in late into surfing and then try to kind of take it over, a.k.a. Yeah. Dirk Ziff as well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, back then, <laughs> when, when Alexander Hume Ford yeah. was operating, that was like a real common in Hawaii, wasn't it? That was, yeah. I mean, already the, the missionaries had taken over. They'd taken over all the plantation. Well, they started they, all the plantations. They, they, they obliterated Hawaii. Uh, I mean, um, also they, they obliterated surfing. So he was he was just part and parcel of that whole thing at the time. Um, yeah. yeah, which brings to the the other. Uh, but, but then it's funny because I was reading about him, and at first I thought I kind of like the sound of him. I but know. Then he, so- he sounds really tiring after you read for a while. Did you read Charmaine's description of him? Yeah, it's like, a lot of energy. Said, I love how he has the mustache goatee. By the way, very yeah. handsome Devonier. It's very it looks like uh, Tom Skerritt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Skerritt, him. just random. You ever see the movie Ted 2? Or Ted, the movie Ted? No, I almost downloaded it. I was think I was wondering if it was okay for the kids to watch. What do you think? Oh, it's so not okay. Well. Uh, I read that Ralph could probably watch it. But. He probably could. It's fun. I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, it's it's harmless humor. But one of the guys starts bragging about how he's best friends with Tom Skerritt. <laughs> Did you ever see that? Um, on it was on you when when um, when we first started watching YouTube, but more you know, like ten, twelve years ago. Yeah. And there was ah, oh, there was this one guy. I think from New Jersey. I don't remember what his name is. And he would dress up in drag and he did a video. One of the videos was all about shoes. And he's like, it was really dark comedy. And his, oh, you, you gotta watch, just like look up, <laughs> let's get some shoes. And get his mom, shoes. his mom was in love with Tom Skerritt and had a <laughs> picture of Tom Skerritt on the wall. <laughs> he's a handsome man and uh, played a great mentor in Top Gun, man. Come hey, on. You, you always like guys with mustaches. Not always. I feel like you said, oh, I, no, you, you really, you thought. Um, you can't trust a guy with a mustache, I used to think. You can't trust a guy with a mustache. <laughs> Nowadays, everyone has it to be ironic, but now it's become commonplace. I, can't, I don't even have an opinion on mustaches anymore. Um, I was a trendsetter. Oh, really? With my mustache margarita party oh years back, and i grew a mustache and then i was on the tube and these guys were sort of whispering to each other that i look like earl you know um yeah yeah mike um, lee brendan lee yeah yeah jason yeah. lee jason, jason lee, lee. The, the skaters turned artists yes anyway um, oh the, the the biggest thing that i thought was pretty crazy in the article about george freeth was when he was going to go to new york to promote surfing yeah it was snowing in june so he June. Couldn't go. <laughs> it's crazy 
It was wild. I, it's like, I have this. So let me ask you this though. What do you think yes. about how we celebrate some of these characters or, or, or figures in surf history? Do we, you know, do we celebrate the things that they brought? Do we think it's good? I mean, it, we are here where we are. There's not much we can do, but I, I'm like, I mean, Alexander Hume Ford, I find to be like, I'm empathetic to because he loved his enthusiasm. And obviously he had some business, he has businesses and everything involved, but I do find it, I have empathy for him because he also laments all the traffic and the growth that he created. Mm. I don't know. Now, I mean, like, are you talking about how, like right now, especially where in, in the greater society, we're looking back at people who are revered and questioning whether we should revere them because of their, um, their, all the bad things that they've done. Is that kind of what you're getting? Yeah. At? Yeah. A little bit. It's kind of, you know, not to get a little, si- I'm not trying to get too serious here and there'll be no, no, no involved, but I do think it's a good question to ask, like particularly with surfing. Cause I think we have a lot of controversial characters in the history, which we shouldn't revere fully and be like they're godlike or hold them on a full pedestal. They should be examined with honesty, but I think also their contribution should be acknowledged. Well, let's, I mean, like uh, if I'm thinking of, well, I don't think Alexander Hume Ford is revered very much in surf culture. I no. don't think most people know about him. Yeah. Um, but, but should like, we, I guess. If, if we look at, <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's fine to say what happened and yeah. if it weren't for, you know, I don't think anyone is talking about him as a great person. They just say he was the guy who did this. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got to here. But if you go a little bit m- slightly more recently, if you look at Guard Chapin, you know, Mickey yeah. Dora's stepdad. Yeah. He, more and more, you find out more about him. And he is, you know, they talk about him as being at the time that he was surfing the most progressive surfer in California, which probably yeah. means the most progressive surfer in the world. Yeah. And also they talk about how he was the guy who got um, Bob Simmons into surfing. Mm. And he also you know, pretty much is the main influence on Mickey Dora. And so, but it always feels like every time I've ever read about Guard Chapin in the same breath or the next breath, they always talk about what a, jerk what a racist he was let what a violent person he mm. was what a you know all the crimes he committed so i think that they always very quickly give you the balance yeah um so i mean we forgot we could go through a list of people and think about <laughs> I, it feels like mentioning what they did is is fun and as far as um yeah it's funny because i find it interesting how so many people revere mickey dora you know, and you're like, oh, right. I was thinking about that, you know, and you're like, yeah, he was a good surfer. He surfed well. He was definitely an archetype in surfing. He set a template for some other surfers, but motherfucker was a dick. Like you wouldn't want to be friends with him. He was going to use you. He was going to use you for whatever he can get from you. Fucking lit firecrackers under a pregnant woman, you know, at a yeah. surf movie premiere. But Look, that's who the does thing. that? Oh, but that's the thing. It's, at least now it's it's definitely general common knowledge that people talk about him now quite often when they quite often when people talk about mickey dora now or write about him i should say i don't know what people talk about this is my first conversation about mickey dora in a really long time (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
but they quite often describe the whole picture of Mickey Dora. Yeah, they do, they do talk about or is uh, I can't think of the right word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, and that's why I, I think bringing it back to Encyclopedia of Surfing. What I love about Matt is it's an unvarnished look at surf history. There's there's an honesty to it, and I don't think we should take away from what they contribute because it has led us to here. You can you can question. I think it'd be real interesting one day to see like debates or discussions whether surfing would be better off with certain characters in it or not. Um, that could be a real interesting topic one day. But I do think it's it's important. Yes, and and in these guys like Jack London has a lot of his flaws, but he's, I mean, influenced so many writers. I mean Hemingway, you know, to Updike, all of them have have drawn you know, a lineage to London. So it's, it's hard to discount that, I guess. Um, yeah, it seems, but I, I mean, maybe, maybe I don't realize it enough because of my privilege, but yeah, I feel like surf, or maybe it is just because mainly I read now surfers journal and the EOS, you know, which I read that's, I've read one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they do, they, they, do, they do talk from a real independent standpoint because they don't have sponsors, the two yeah. that I've just mentioned. So um, they do seem to give the full picture of stuff. And, yeah. and it, probably infor- it probably helps hearing about all the good stuff and bad stuff about them. Definitely. No, and I think... I guess and, it's, and it's also just much more interesting to hear all the bad stuff <laughs> totally. too. Totally. Like, well, yeah. I don't want to hear about how much of a god someone was, you know. Absolutely. I mean, in some ways, I think I feel like we're in an era of flawed heroes. Also, in society in general, we like that. We like the hero who is slightly flawed or has humanist human characteristics and isn't fully perfect. You know, isn't Christopher Reeve's Superman is more of Christopher Nolan's Batman? You know, like there's kind of you know we like that so it yes so i mean yeah jack london george freeth alexander hoom ford charmaine london all very interesting characters that we've covered here now you know what time it is jamie yeah Time for Stump My my Bro. bro. Okay. All right. Uh, Do you want me to go? I'm going to give you a pre one, which isn't really a surf one, but it was in all the stuff we've just talked about. Okay. Do you know what a rectal fistula is? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's awful. (laughs) But do you know why I asked that, by the way? No, I'm sorry. I missed it. I must have missed it. (laughs) <laughs> the rectal fistula. Rect- rectal, not rectal. erectile. Oh, rectal. Yeah. Rectal fistula. It was in the description of... So after... Injuries that you can get from surf riding? Is that... Well, I, I, possibly. I mean, it was after, after Jack and Charmaine left Hawaii and they went to Australia. Um, or when they got to Australia, he was suffering from a lot of maladies, to use the uh, parlance <laughs> of the times. 
and and <laughs> yeah, like malaria and all sorts of stuff. And one of them was a rectal fistula. Um, I'm going to say to all of you out there, this is a little homework. Go look up rest, rectal fistula. <laughs> rectal it's, fistula. You don't want to get it. <laughs> that probably doesn't count as a stump, my bro. Uh, no, it doesn't. That's kind of good. All right, you want me to do it, or you want to do it first? Well, you, because I don't, I don't have one. To All right, have, well, you think so. of one while I come up with this. Well, I have this mm. one here. I'm going to read off. Okay. All right. So, Margot, aka Brendan Margitson, mm-hmm. uh, was mentioned in one of the last Sunday joints recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brendan Margison, for those of you who don't know, is an exceptional regular foot from Queensland area with a knock-kneed stance and a smooth, powerful sweeping carves. Can I Known interrupt for, you for one second? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Now, I haven't heard it from Aspoken Margison out loud. or Margison? I think I read the pronunciation once. And this is bad. I'm sure lots of people listen. He's like, oh, you idiot seppos. You're so... Fuck provincial. Off. First I think off, it's, first it's off, Mark Eason. Mark Eason. Mark Eason? Okay, Mark Eason. I think Mark it's Mark Eason. All right. Well, you know what? They say Martinez instead of Martinez for Bobby Martinez. So, hello. Okay. I mean, again, you know, potato, potato, you know, tomato, tomato, whatever you want to go here. Martinez. All right. But anyway, um, he's known for his parts in The Green Iguana, Sons of Fun, Sick Joy, and more. But Jamie, can you tell me what is the name of his signature biosurfid by filmmaker Justin Gain? Oh, I I did read it because I read all those uh, things. Um, let me just have a thing. Don't call me Margo. What's that from, by the way? Ripping Rocky. <laughs> Ripping Rocky. <laughs> Ripping Rocky, just like Aki. I remember really <laughs> thinking like, oh my God, I can't believe Mark Akalupo has a brother who, or a cousin who looks so similar. But yeah, he's definitely different. I mean, look, his hair is short. I know. I love that they did that because they literally did have us believing for a split little time period that Rocky had a brother named Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. For those of you who don't know, that was the Green Iguana, by the way, what we were just referencing. Go look it up. Great movie by Jack McCoy. All right. You don't know? No. All right. You got your shot of whiskey with you? <laughs> um, it's bourbon. Bourbon. Yeah, which I guess that is. Is it okay? Bourbon yeah, it's whiskey. Fr- it's, well, it says frontier whiskey on it. Ooh. Actually, Ooh, look at you on the frontier. All right. the The name of the the biovid is Wonder Jahar and the oh, Margo yeah. Project. And Justin the... Gain did it so good. Nice, nice. Yeah. Is that and is that the pronunciation of that film? I don't know. I like to think it is. Wonder Jahar. Wonder Jahar. Wonder Jahar. Or it could be a Wonder Jahar. Maybe it's more. Wonder Jahar. <laughs> Wunderbar. Wunderbar. Star Wars. If they uh, should happen to Bar Wars, then at least let them. Star Wars. Sorry, I had to go into Lounge Jack. All right. Um, okay, what do you got on. for me? <sighs> I mean, I, I know you're going to get this. Good, because I normally don't get yours. I know, but I have. All right, I've got a good one then. Okay. But I'll tell you the question. I was Okay, can I do like an easy yeah. one and then the yeah. hard one? Yeah. So the easy one, because I know you just read articles. So what um, Mike Armstrong, you know, the Laguna yeah. uh, surfer who was, you know, a pipe god, if we're going to use yeah. that term, 
in the 70s, and you know, he retired to Cayucas in Central California. Dave Pomenter's stomping grounds, right? Yeah. Uh, so, and he owns a farm. What's the farm for? What does he grow? Oh, cattle, doesn't he? No! Oh, oh, wait, I stumped you! Ah. Come on, have another go. Really? You just read the article. I know. I did, too. And I don't know why. I thought it was like... Oh. No, and, and I'll tell you what. I knew the answer even before oh. I read the article because in an old surfer's journal, there was... Um, they used to do... Every so often, I think they did an article where they would have a variety of surf photographers. Yeah. And it wasn't just current surf. It was a portfolio, you know, like just yeah. examples of their work. And, you know, one of them was Steve Sakamoto. And he had a picture from like the early 80s of Michael Armstrong up at his ranch looking really cool with a mustache nice. and, um, and, a, and like a quiver of boards. You know, he had like a couple of brewers and lightning bolts and just... Sick. And, you know, the mountains behind him. And I just oh. thought, oh, that's, that looks nice. I'd like to have a barn in Central California and a quiver of brewers and bolts. Let's and, do that. And they said, and, but in that caption, yeah. they said, you know, he, he you know, left pipe, left Hawaii at the height of his powers to become an avocado farmer. Oh, shit. Like Kelly Slater wants to be. <laughs> at one point, he was talking about retiring to Big Island and having an avocado farm. Avocado farm. I, oh, I love well, that. Yeah. Just you know, it's, it's good so Calif- It's so California. It like, really is. <laughs> cool. I remember in um in a surfing magazine uh, caption or picture in the eighties. There was this gorgeous picture of like somewhere in um. Oh my god, what's what's the town where Patagonia is? The town where Patagonia? Oh, Ventura. Ventura and like it's this beautiful picture the sun kind of in the sky and some palm trees and the caption said pass the put on some eagles put on an eagle's tape pass the guacamole and I was just like oh yeah I just want to I want to be there you know <laughs> that was I mean that that's the other thing reading the Charmaine article the description of Hawaii did make me quite sad you know she she talks about the sound of the waves breaking in Hawaii were different than the sound of the waves, the pounding surf in California yeah. or the, the, the uh, I forgot the description or the waves and the rocks in New England. And, and it did make me think like, you know, I love surfing no matter where you are. I love surfing in England. It's beautiful. The waves are pretty good, but it's cold yeah. and surfing in warm water, you know, it's just, Oh, I miss it. Uh, I just had a nice little spring suit session today. Actually. I didn't appreciate you know? New York growing up. It was a yeah. good, place, good place to surf, actually. Yeah. You know, one of the other things, in tribute to uh, George Freeth, I did a rescue yesterday in the water, by the way. No way. Yeah. Go on. I was out, and there was a mother and daughter. They got sucked out by the rip by the jetty. I paddled over to oh them. Like they were waving to me, I paddled over them, got them on my board, and just was like really calm about it. Just try to make them really relaxed and talk to them and just be like, Oh, where are you from? It's okay, we're gonna be fine. Don't worry, guys, we're all good. And all these like other people then like paddled over like machismo full Baywatch style, like chasing after them. I'm like, I got it, guys, don't worry, we're just having a nice chat and floating our way in. And it was like so funny because it was like that bravado kind of machismo surf kind of 
attitude that Jack London kind of portrays in these surfers who came to the rescue. Like they were paddling and they were like full on, like had that full on kind of like, I'm going to rescue you type of attitude. And, Tyler, like, you do realize you are just totally humble, bragging. humble bragging right oh, now. Oh, total like, humble bragging. Yeah, I was actually totally I was cool pretty calm. Let me tell you about dumb. it, you know. Well, you know uh, what? I don't get to do that very often, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to take my <laughs> humble brag and enjoy that. Um, so, That's like smoother than what I rescued. Like, wow, I didn't really. Oh, well, you want to talk about that? Let's talk about your rescue. Then so you when, end up trying to go out with them, you know. Well, no, Michael and I. We were in, in Montauk and we were surfing at the lighthouse and these two women were swimming you know, around the rocks and they drifted into the impact zone between us and the rocks and one of them did start to ask for help. So I went in and I got her and I put her on my board, but I would started to really struggle and the two of us started to get in real danger <laughs> and she's like, you've got this, right? I'm like, no. <laughs> And then I was like, Michael, I was like, don't worry. He's a real lifeguard. I was a cool <laughs> lifeguard. Anyway, so he gets her and the two of them are fine. But her friend was there and I said, hey, so you want to get on my board with me? <laughs> she like, just looked no. at me and she's like, I know how to swim. And she swam <laughs> safely to shore. And the you other time when I... Who's got you? The other <laughs> time Superman I moment. rescued, when I actually did rescue some, it was, you yeah. know, um, uh, you, you know, um, uh, Jenna and she really was struggling so i paddled out put her on my board pushed her into a wave and she rode it to the beach but then i was stuck out there and the rip was so strong i couldn't get it <laughs> so i think it's probably i think maybe if i was in your shoes if i saw the other guys coming over i would be like yep right there i would point the way <laughs> i have another well, stump question all right bring um, it which well, I didn't think I'd need this one, but and I, I don't remember exactly the name of it. But um, do you know I'm going to save it for next week because I, I have right. to remember the details of it. All right. Well, that was a really fun episode, Jane. I quite enjoyed <laughs> diving deep into this. I hope you did as well. Yep, that was yep. fun. <laughs> so um, the Sunday Joint is an Encyclopedia of Surfing podcast. The Encyclopedia Surfing is the best damn surfing website out there. So for all of you listening, support the EOS with a monthly fee of either $3 a month or you could do a yearly plan of $30. It's a very good deal, let me tell you, my friend. Definitely subscribe. You spend much time on EOS. It's very good. I love what to the, do that. What the hell was that? That was my fun accent from the state. You know, I remember the state when I was like... Um, they were like doing a whole Eastern European TV show, and they're like, in in the in Soviet, we have we have Adidas, we have Adidas style shoes. Only instead of three stripe, we have four. It's very good deal. <laughs> so I was doing that. And uh, by the way, <laughs> Sunday Joint Podcast is produced and distributed by the Surf Splendor and its network of podcasts. Love me some David Lee Scales. Uh, quite enjoy the grit and spit and all of his really fun, uh, fun podcasts. So pretty awesome. And yeah, we'll catch you on next time. All right. See you later.
to take us out of the dark. Man made the book of the world, huh? Like they said that Noah made the ark. This is a man.